Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 411 from 416. My name is Chewy, and I'm joined once again by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. I mean, I mean, first things first, where the fuck have we been? This has not been a good stretch. Um, it has been, we're sitting here on the 21st of July right now as we record this. The last time we recorded was the May the 26th. So we are almost two months out from the last time we recorded, which... I think is fair to say is way longer than either of us would um, would hope to go between episodes. So I, for my part in that, I apologize uh, for me. It's been all baseball all the time. We had between three boys, we had uh, almost 200 baseball games since uh, between April and late July. So Jesus we're done. Lord, <laughs> we're done. Uh, we're done for the summer, which is um, I love baseball, but I'm uh, looking forward to having a couple weeks off where I don't have to go to a baseball field. Oh, I, I could totally see that. And I'm I'm similar, although certainly not to that quantity. My girls were playing baseball and softball as well. So there were a lot of things getting in the way, but I'm just as guilty as you are in terms of uh, scheduling this. We've had to put it off a couple of times because of various life events and things going on. But I don't care. We are here and we are here to wrap up what is going to be the final episode of our Star Wars prequel deep dive series. How, how are you feeling about this as we're going into it? I'm, I'm super pumped, actually. And even though the last episode of the series, and, and I guess by extension, the last episode of the podcast was a little bit more negative, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure, sure. Because I think we both just kind of both universally kind of hated that film. I'm pumped coming into this. And I, I remember I was, I was pumped coming into this film back in 2005 when it came out. And I'm super excited to have this conversation. Uh, we, we chatted just real briefly before we started recording and we didn't even want to kind of talk much, much chit chat. We just wanted to kind of turn on and start recording. So I'm, I'm really excited to see kind of where this one goes tonight. As am I for sure. And I think that it's, Interestingly for me, this was harder to get myself to watch the movie again. And I think maybe it's just because the last two times we talked, you know, we did these deep dives on The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. And as much as I love doing the podcast, sometimes the research for these and watching the movies and pausing and taking notes and things like that can be a bit of a labor of love. So it was a little bit of a chore to get myself to watch this movie. And if I'm doing it during the week, I'll be honest, I'm an old man now and I have to I have to break it up into multiple nights sometimes because I just can't sit down and watch two and a half hours of of Star Wars at, at night as much as I used to be able to do. So it was a little bit tougher. But once I got going, it was a really interesting experience and one that I wasn't really expecting. And I think we're going to get to that. But it was uh, it wasn't nearly as difficult getting through it as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It, it's funny. I, I had a similar experience. I actually sat down and, and rewatched this one with my youngest boy. And I think this was the first time that he had ever seen this film. Oh, nice. And, and so ironically enough, 
we have a, we have a, a book that I read him at night called Five Minute Star Wars Stories, and it's a really it's a it's a great kind of bedtime book because they are each chapter is about five minutes, and you know there's probably you know three or four from each movie, and so that was really his only experience with Revenge of the Sith, and so as we're watching stuff, he goes, "Oh, hey, is this you know is this from that book that we were reading last night?" And I said, "Yeah, it was," and my memory of this film. It was was pretty negative, if I'm being honest. It was, you know, th- this this entire trilogy had one goal, right? It was to show the the fall of Anakin Skywalker and the turn into Darth Vader. And we'll get there. We'll talk about that scene or those scenes extensively. But I remember even as we were talking on the two previous podcasts of this series, and I remember being really kind of negative heading into this film. And I have to say, rewatching it again, I it wasn't as negative as I thought it was as it was going to be. I actually thoroughly enjoyed rewatching it again, coming back to it. And one of the questions that I had for you, so one of the big things that has happened since our previous podcast was the release of the Disney Plus series Obi Wan Kenobi, and not to get not to get into a whole big thing review of that series but i i wanted to ask you did watching that series change how you looked at this film at all i i think it's fair to say that's possible that it did and i don't know how i don't know why Mm -hmm. i couldn't really explain it but for some reason it was more tolerable to rewatch this movie after having watched that series and it's not even because I thought the series was the greatest thing that ever existed. I I definitely, there were some very, very high parts of the Obi-Wan series that I really liked. There were some things that I thought were not really well done, but I know that they had a lot of challenges trying to squeeze in the continuity because they had movies that came before that. They have movies that come after that. So they had to be very conscious of some of the decisions that they made. And some of them I don't think were really smart in terms of, the characters and the whole Leia thing. And I I don't know. I mean, we can get into that another time, but I think what I took away from it is that I really grew a better appreciation for the relationship between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. And when I took that, learned from their relationship in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, and I brought it with me to revisit the Revenge of the Sith, it really complimented it in a way I was not expecting. I'm not really sure if that makes any sense, but that's, that was my take on it. No, I think it does. I, I think, and, and again, I'm not sure that that series makes this film a quote better film, but you know, there, there are some films that I think kind of get better with time. There are, there are other films that get worse, right. And just really don't hold up. And at least for me, this one is actually getting better over time. And again, I don't know if that's I'm aging. I don't know if I'm I'm picking up new things that I hadn't seen before. I don't know if it's that there's more context out there, you know, of, of books and, and series like Obi-Wan and those kind of things. Yeah, I, th- this one is actually getting better for me as as time moves on, which is which surprised me, quite frankly, especially coming off of Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I think this series did a good job of convincing me that I shouldn't focus so much on the turn of Anakin Skywalker and really should focus more on the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. And when I, when I looked at it from that perspective, the things that bothered me the first couple times didn't bother me as much because the one thing that I think that they got really right in this movie 
was again the relationship between the two and how it started kind of strong at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith and then it sort of even stronger so than I think it was in Attack of the Clones and then it really trails off as as Anakin's descent becomes more and more prevalent so I thought that 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 it gave me something different to focus on which I thought was interesting. All right, so let's let's go ahead and we'll start into this. And I imagine we will kind of revisit a lot of these questions and topics and, and those kind of things as we go. So the Revenge of the Sith, it is the third film in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. It was released on May the 15th, 2005. It is written and directed once again by the one and only George Lucas. It was produced by Rick McCallum. It stars the essentially the exact same cast as the previous film, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Hayden Christensen, Ian McDermott, Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, and Frank Oz. It is the highest grossing film of 2005. It had a budget. It was actually the lowest budget of the prequels at only, quote unquote, only 113 million. The other two films at 115 million had a box office of $868 million, which by today's standards, I don't know, might even seem a little bit low, but that was just a massive number. I mean, this was pre-Avengers and pre-all of these $1 billion films. Again, if you recall, Attack of the Clones was only about $650 million. The Phantom Menace was just over a billion dollars. Still to this day, it holds the record for the highest opening day gross on a Thursday, which I thought was kind of cool. Made right over $50 million bucks. It only won one Golden Raspberry Award, and that was for a best supporting actor or worst supporting actor for Hayden Christensen. And I will I will certainly talk about that because I can remember coming out of this film, I had a really, really poor outlook on Hayden Christensen. And again, part of that has, I think, has um, has softened over the years as well, for at least for me. Again, it is the direct sequel to A Phantom Menace. It takes about the three years in between the two films. A lot of the criticism initially was around Christensen's acting, obviously, and the dialogue, right? And, and one thing that I noticed, if you go back and you read reviews from back then, and then if you go back and you look at kind of um, more recent reviews of the film, I, I think it's pretty consistent with what you and I have been saying it has softened a little bit. And I think a lot of the criticism these days is actually not so much on Christensen, but it's on the dialogue and it's on the writing and the directing of George Lucas. I, I just can't understate how poorly in these, in my opinion, some of these scenes and films are directed by George Lucas. And I, I hate to say that because he's an icon, but I, he's just, he, he didn't do the, the universe a great service with some of these scenes specifically yeah i would agree and i think that we've noted pretty prolifically throughout this this series that that has been a problem the entire time it was never more obvious than it was in attack of the clones and in this movie i think there are pieces of it that get better i don't know if it's just because of the heightened drama that sort of overshadows some of the dialogue but if you listen to them talk it's it's still so stilted in a way that is almost distracting in some scenes, especially yeah. in the beginning. There's the, I think the first exchange between Padme and Anakin when, you know, she tells him that she's pregnant and some of those lines back and forth are just like, Oh, they're painful. They're so hard to listen to. Yeah. There, there's one that to me that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. It's, it's, they are, I don't know, in their, their, their house or apartment or whatever it is. And, and, and he says something like, 
I'm so, you know, she says, I'm so in love with you. And he says, no, I'm so in love with you. It's just, it's, <laughs> yeah. the, it's just, it's just the worst. And, See, I just threw up in my yeah. mouth a little when you said it. So yeah. <laughs> right. Right. The title obviously is in, in reference to revenge of the Jedi, which was the original title of return of the Jedi. Um, fun fact. I actually have a old school 1983 poster of revenge of the Jedi somewhere. It's in terrible shape, but I actually do have one of those posters. Um, like one of the, it can't be one of the original. Posters. It is. Yeah. It's they mean, only it's made like 6,000. Yeah. It's tattered. It's in terrible shape, but I do have one. Now it might've been a reprint even from back then, but yeah, oh, it was. Yeah. yeah. Still though. Um, it's my favorite movie poster of all time. Yeah. It is yeah. the Holy grail of movie posters. <laughs> so, and, and the last kind of, kind of pre-work that I that I did. I wanted to read this particular passage. I, I think I got this off Wikipedia, but but it's really I wanted to read it because I think it's it's really important because it's it's one of the things that we have talked about in several podcasts coming up to this. And I think we'll, and we'll certainly t- talk about it in this podcast as well. So it said after principal photography was complete in 2003, Lucas made even more changes in Anakin's character, rewriting the entire turn sequence. Lucas accomplished this rewrite through editing and principal footage and filming new scenes during pickups in London in 2004. In the previous versions, Anakin had myriad reasons for turning to the dark side, one of which was his sincere belief that the Jedi were plotting to take over the Republic. Although this is still intact in the finished film, by revising and refilming many scenes, Lucas emphasized Anakin's desire to save Padme from death Thus, in the version that made it to the theater, Anakin's fall to the dark side primarily to save Padme. I, I think that's a really interesting passage because, again, my one main criticism of this film over the years has been that it failed to do its one job, which was to tell the turn. And I just thought that was an interesting passage. Again, in my mind, it doesn't let Lucas off the hook, but it it shows me that w- there was at least more thought there than what we got in the, in the final version of the film. That is interesting. I don't think I've heard that. That's all the homework that I did. So I'm, I'm, uh, well, you I'm, left I'm out right. one, one critical piece. This oh, was, this was the only movie, the only prequel movie that you and I saw together in the theaters, right? I believe <laughs> that is, you are, I, you are correct, sir. Yes. That we, we touched on this, I think in a previous episode, but this was one of the many years that I came out to Cleveland to see you, but I did not come for our traditional WrestleMania viewing. This one was specifically for Revenge of the Sith back in 2005. And I remember, I even remember being in the theater. I remember there being some cosplayers that were lightsaber fighting in, in the very front of the theater going back and forth. Yes. And I have a memory of, I'm not even sure we got to sit together or, or maybe were we with somebody else or something? I don't know. There was something really weird about the seating arrangement that I remember, but at any rate, we yeah. were at this, what we thought at the time was going to be the last star Wars movie ever made together in the theater, which was both poetic and, and a lot of fun. Yes. You're right. Uh, you're right. I did leave that out. And, and you're right. Yeah. It's the, it's the only one we saw together and uh, I hope it's not the last one. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Well, needless to say, if there are more, we will be there. All right. Well, let's get things started with our crawl as we always do war as it starts. The Republic is crumbling under attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. <sighs> Evil is everywhere. In a stunning move, the fiendish droid leader, General Grievous, has swept into the Republic capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, leader of the Galactic Senate. 
as the separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. Uh, so, okay, so the heroes on both sides thing is something to this day I still don't understand. Does that, I mean, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to get into too much of a discussion before we even get into the discussion, but what the hell does that mean? Uh, yeah, I can, I can only assume that it's just a poor choice of words and, and they're meaning like fighters on both sides. Cause clearly there's not heroes on by, both sides, right? We don't, we, we're not rooting for anybody but our side. So yeah, I, I think it's yeah. just a poor choice of words. That, that makes sense. That actually <laughs> actually makes a lot of sense. And I'm hoping that is the case because otherwise it makes no sense. But to kick things off, it's uh, so we're we're about three years after that last pile of uh, clones as we open immediately on a, on a pretty intense space battle. And probably my favorite of the entire prequel trilogy is Anakin and Obi-Wan are trying to find their way to the kidnapped chancellor. And to start the commentary right away, I love the pace. I love the way that they're starting this movie because we've had two movies uh, the first one with a lot of story, the second one with some story and just a lot of fucking boring. And I'm feeling that this is the right way to start this. We don't need to tell as much story. We're going to jump right into some action. And I think the special effects, especially in this scene, but uh, throughout a lot of this movie are definitely holding up better than the previous two. That's my first impression. Do you agree with that? Wholeheartedly. The the first, I don't know, the, the I don't know what it is, 15 minutes, 20 minutes What of this movie. I agree. It's paced almost perfectly. It starts out, you are right in the middle of a battle. They do some, some really nice cinematography where at the very opening, you just see Obi-Wan and Anakin talking, and then they like do a spin and boom, they're right over this battle, right over Coruscant. And, and we get we, we have a little scene where they're kind of flying up to Grievous's ship. And then once they hit that ship, I mean, it's just it's go time within the first 10 minutes of the movie. You got lightsabers, you got droids, you got space battles, actually good dialogue. And you're sh and you're showing the interaction between the clones and the Jedi. You're, you're seeing the, the interaction between Obi-Wan and, and Anakin. That's a long way of saying, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I love this opening sequence. It's awesome. So once aboard the general's ship, we meet General Grievous for the first time, who apparently is an asthmatic precursor to what Anakin would soon become. After some cheeky hijinks, including R2 flying around setting battle droids on fire, our heroes are going to stumble upon an imprisoned, air quotes, Palpatine. Dooku approaches when Obi-Wan says the highly ironic, Chancellor Palpatine, Sith Lords are our speciality and a two-versus-one battle ensues. Now, Christopher Lee, who's clearly still played primarily by a stunt double with a CGI'd face, does a pretty decent job of holding both the Jedi at bay until Anakin gets the best of him. Palpatine orders Anakin to execute Dooku, and he does so with Obi-Wan laying there unconscious. I feel like this part, for me personally, I, I don't want to say I had a problem with it, but I didn't feel like... Anakin had enough hesitation before he just executed Count Dooku like that one just like zip lopped off his head and, and then it was done. I, we know that he's pushing harder and harder towards the dark side, but this one went real quick for me. Yeah. And, and here's again, I mentioned it in, in, in my intro here, in my mind, this trilogy had one job. 
its one job was to show the fall of Anakin to the dark side. Unfortunately, the first two movies did a piss poor job at that, in my opinion. And so it's all left to this movie <laughs> to show that turn. And you're right. This is to, to say this is a kind of sharp right turn just right out of the gate. It was jarring. It was, it was, it was like, oh shit. Like we just, we just leveled up big time and you're right. He didn't, he didn't hesitate. And you know, he, he was kind of afterwards, he was like, well, that what, that's not the Jedi way. I shouldn't have done that. But like after that, he was like, okay, yeah. He just kind of moved on and he just kind of forgot it. Or at least that's the way it was on the page. So yeah, this was a little bit out of left field. And it was an awesome scene. Don't get me wrong, but you're right. I don't. I don't think Anakin had quite earned this level of angst quite yet, at least on the screen. Sure, and I actually really like that point you made. I think that Anakin moved on from it very quickly. It's not that just that he did it without any real significant remorse. It's that we never revisit that again. It doesn't weigh on him moving forward. No. And, and that seems surprising to me. I got a question for you. This is a bit off script, but it it's a thought that came to me the other day because we've talked a lot about this one job that this series had. And the more I thought about it, you know, we spent so much of the first two movies building story, but not building enough of Anakin's story. And then it seems like this third movie kind of rushes that through. I almost think it would have made more sense for the climax of the second movie to be where Anakin becomes Darth Vader. And then the entire third movie becomes Obi-Wan's attempt to either bring him back to the good side or maybe some of the Obi-Wan versus Darth Vader stuff that we end up seeing in the Obi-Wan series or something like that, because we all knew where this was going to end. There was no reason to save it to the very end of the third movie. Why not? Why not let it go at the end of the second movie and have the whole third movie be, holy shit, what are we going to do now? Like, I think that would have been kind of interesting and, and maybe paced a little bit more appropriately. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I, you know, I mean, and, and you could have done that pretty easily with just kind of getting rid of the Phantom Menace. Right. I mean, in my opinion, that that film, even though it probably holds up better than Attack of the Clones did it was really kind of a throwaway film. When you, when you look at the overall kind of arc of the Skywalker saga, I mean, yeah, you, you see that Anakin was made of the midichlorians, whatever you see that, you know, you see him taken away from his mother, but I mean, you could have explained a lot of that just in a crawl, right. Or, you know, I, you know, <laughs> exactly. I, so, I mean, you, you, I mean, in fact, think about it, right. I mean, you could have started this trilogy at the beginning of attack of the clones, never seen the Phantom Menace. And then, you know, you, you're only two movies. I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. You, that, that would have been, I think pacing wise, and it, and it certainly would have made the overall trilogy, I think better. Well, they could have cut out a lot of the political, yeah. you know, discourse context, whatever, and, and just stuck to what we all wanted to see, which was Anakin Skywalker. But See, that's, that's a really good point because the, and I understand clearly George Lucas wanted all that politics in there. Right. And I don't know if he's trying to tell, you know, if he's trying to make a, some sort of a, a relation to modern politics, current day stuff, this, that, and the other thing. 
but like none of that stuff really ever goes anywhere and it doesn't really well, I, it doesn't I, really matter in the grand I mean I mean yeah it's it's the backdrop for why we're having a clone war and it's the it's the very very backdrop of how Sidious comes to power but beyond that I, I don't know there, there's I think there's better ways to do that and I, I I think a lot of that politics probably just could have left been left out well I agree with all that and I think the important takeaway from what you just said was that it was really about Sidious coming to power and the empire being created. I think that was sort of the secondary story, only it kind of became the primary story, really, because Sidious is the one behind the scenes in this entire trilogy that is is pulling all the strings and doing mm-hmm. all that work. So it, it's pretty interesting. But I, I wonder how he could have rewritten a third movie or combined the first two if it, it meant putting Darth Vader's appearance. I mean, imagine that scene at the end of this movie where he, he rises into frame, you mm-hmm. know, as, as he's being created, imagine that being the stinger at the end of the second movie, mm-hmm. like that would be fucking great to just end the movie like that and yeah. have us all be like, Oh, damn it. It would have been right. amazing, but I digress. So before our heroes can escape, they're all captured by general grievous and another escape attempt begins as the Jedi fight these androids with staffs that can block lightsabers. When did this happen? I don't know. Contrivance, fair enough. Whatever, bygones. Grievous escapes as the ship plummets to the ground, but not before Anakin takes control and lands the large vessel. And overall, I got to be honest, I'm pretty impressed with what I've seen so far. As we talked about, the action sequence pretty much eclipses everything that happened in the last movie. The first 10 minutes of this movie are better than the entire Attack of the Clones movie. Yep, yep. Yeah, from from the time of the, the opening scroll... To the time that you know half of a light or a half of a ship lands, it's yes, it's amazing. And you're right, that 20 minutes or however long it was is better than the entire second movie. The Chancellor's return to Curacao, and Anakin is reunited with Padme, where she lets us all know that she's pregnant. We get some more clunky dialogue between the two, as we kind of talked about, and, and just to remind us that nothing has changed. And Anakin has a premonition about Padme's fate, which is sort of a new. Uh, a new storyline. Palpatine continues sowing the seeds of discontent between the two of them and the Jedi as he makes Anakin his personal representative on the Jedi Council. And I'm liking the fact that this story, at least so far, feels more focused than what we were doing in the last movie. I feel like the politics are taking a backseat to what Palpatine is ultimately trying to do, which is to play Anakin against the Jedi to ultimately win his favor. Yeah, I agree. So, so a question as I was watching this was Palpatine's ultimate goal. Was it to come to power and then Anakin slash Darth Vader was a kind of a side quest to that? Or was, was Palpatine's ultimate goal to turn Anakin because he knew he was quote the chosen one like like was was palpatine more concerned with the rise of the empire or was he more concerned with the rise of the sith i think he was definitely concerned more with the rise of the empire because he's doing all this from the shadows and from the holograms in the first movie in the phantom menace before he even knows of anakin skywalker so i think at some point and i don't believe that point is made very clear to the viewers he becomes aware of Anakin and decides, well, now that I don't have 
Darth Maul by my side, I'm going to take on Count Dooku. And then maybe sometime, uh, sometime throughout the attack of the clones, he realizes that Anakin is going to be more powerful. Where I don't think we're really shown that moment or told when that moment is. But I think that that's just sort of a byproduct of his overall plan, which is to rule the galaxy. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Again, I, I, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't, it was the first time I had that thought. I wasn't quite sure. Yoda and the council accept Anakin, but they deny him the position of master, which creates a lot of frustration with him. Obi-Wan then tells Anakin on behalf of the council to spy on Palpatine as both sides continue positioning against each other. And we pan back to Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Windu, who are discussing whether or not the prophecy has been misread. And I wanted to take a second to talk about this prophecy because it is talked about on on a very high level throughout this trilogy. But we don't know what the actual prophecy is. But I did do some Google foo. And in a canon novel called The Master and Apprentice, the prophecy has been revealed as follows. Only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. The danger of the past is not past, but sleeps in an egg. <laughs> okay, let me finish. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the entire galaxy. Excuse me, it will threaten the galaxy entire. When the force itself sickens, past and future must split and combine. A chosen one shall come born of no father and through him will ultimate balance in the force be restored. So before I had read all that, my question was, is Anakin really the one that we're supposed to believe that prophecy is about? I think at this point, we have to assume that is the case because it specifies towards the end, a chosen one shall come born of no father. And Anakin was allegedly immaculately conceived if we are to believe Shmi that she didn't get drunk on some blue milk and just don't remember that one night at uh, right. the Moss Eisley cantina. Right. But I, at some point I thought, well, maybe it's Luke. And I think a lot of people have talked about that, but if, if this is now Canon and this is to be true, how, how, how much credibility does this prophecy have at this point? So just so I'm clear, Back in episode one, Mace Windu, I believe, says something to the effect of, you believe this is the one who will bring balance to, uh, uh, what does he say? Um, you believe it's this boy. Like he, he you, this is yeah. the one, the, the prophecy who will bring balance to the force. Is it, this is the same, pro so what you're saying is that the, the big long passage that you just read, that's the same prophecy that Windu is referring to allegedly. Yeah. Okay, uh, yes. Allegedly. That's, okay. that's, I, I do think this is the prophecy. I do believe. This. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there was never really, a, in my mind, there was never really a doubt that it was Anakin that, that they're referring to. I suppose you could make a case that it's Luke or you, I guess you could even make a case that it's Ray, but let's just say for argument's sake that it's Anakin. What I always found interesting about if it's Anakin was before we knew Anakin, all we had was two Sith and a bunch of Jedi. <laughs> so if you're going to bring balance to that, you, like before Anakin, the light, the light side was kind of winning, right? So if you're going to bring balance to that, he kind of had to be bad in order to bring balance to it. Unless the balance that they're referring to doesn't come until after Anakin Skywalker throws 
the emperor down the shaft. Maybe, maybe the, maybe the prophecy was just not fulfilled at that point. I don't know. That's a complete stretch, but technically you could say he restores balance when he chucks the emperor, you know, into the death star and balances then therefore restore because Luke is the only Jedi left at that point. And, and and there is essentially quote unquote balance to the force. I I don't know. I, 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 I wanted to bring that up because I thought the prophecy thing was really interesting, but they never really explored that storyline. So that's interesting. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you said that that's Canon that's in a novel from 2019 and, and everything from whatever 2017 on is basically Disney slash Lucasfilm approved. Okay. So it is canon. So that's, that's my, again, this was my Google foo. So hopefully I, uh, I, I okay. landed on that. Yeah, I get, yeah, I guess that makes sense then. Right. Because that means that that, that entry into canon came after all of this, right. It came after all these movies. It came after Mace Windu said that. It, so yeah, it's, I, I guess it's kind of giving us some additional detail around that prophecy. So yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm okay with, Anakin is the one that they're talking about. I don't know where we're cracking eggs with yeah. the prophecy, but hey, yeah, well, whatever. Is it, is it maybe it's Neo, right? Oh, perhaps. I don't right. know. I do love a good prophecy. Anakin then finds Palpatine at the Opera House of Throat Singing, feature a blink if you miss it cameo by George Lucas himself. And we learn two critical things here. First, that Grievous is in the Utapau system, and we hear the story which is the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. And I'm going to go ahead and say that this is probably my favorite scene in the entire trilogy. I, I just think that the, the storytelling and the setup and the acting and the way that Ian McDermott delivers all of this is so spot on. It is, I, I think one of the things that I love about this movie the most is his sort of unraveling himself as this, this, fiendish Sith Lord, you know, from the beginning, which he's, he's very much lighter in the role in the beginning. And then it just gets heavier and heavier by the way he talks throughout the movie. I just, I I noticed that more and more this time through, and he just gets more menacing. And this is the moment where you can really see what he's plotting in his head. For, for as bad as the fall of Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader is, the rise of Palpatine to emperor is that good. I agree. I mean? it, it is. It is. I mean, it, we're, we're talking about balance a lot. It is the exact opposite, right? Mm-hmm. One is terrible and one is amazing. And you're right. And there's, and there's one line in specifically in here where he says, not from a Jedi. And the, and just the, the way he says it and the inflection yes. in his voice and if there was, if there was a doubt and there's still probably, well, let's say I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think back. Cause I remember there were all these theories is Palpatine Sidious or are they clones? Is it the same guy. This, if there was, if there was a doubt, this scene erased all doubt. Like yes. it's the same guy, period, paragraph, end of story. Now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And again, I know later in the, in the movie, he will reveal himself but it was, it was this scene. Now I have a question about this scene. I have, I've, I've had a question about the scene Ooh, since I cool. saw it. Is it about throat singing? Cause that's all it I can is, hear in the background. It's not. Okay. I can, right. I can make up something about throating, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is so okay. my PG. Uh, PG so 
Palpatine tells the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise. And he tells the story about how he was killed in his sleep by his apprentice. Was Palpatine his apprentice? Yes. Yes, he, he was. was. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. That is canon okay. at this point. I'm pretty sure it's canon. There was a book called Darth Plagueis that I tried to read and had a lot of trouble getting through. Okay. Um, I, I don't remember the timeline of when that was, but yes, Darth Plagueis's uh, apprentice was Palpatine. Okay. And good. Palpatine did kill him in his sleep. Okay. So Again, I, I was almost positive based on this, but I just, okay, good. That, that makes me happy yeah. that that is. Confirmed. But when we saw that, we didn't know, right? right. Like that we, right. we had no idea. And, and that's why that scene was so perfect because he put enough layer of doubt in there. It's like, well, I'm not really sure, but this guy is, is so menacing that it could very well be true. And it's almost like the Joker in, in the Dark Knight. It's like, who cares if it's true? It's a great fucking story right. and I'm going with it. The the other thing that I picked up on, probably maybe for the first time when I watched this, if you watch this scene, he makes it sound as if the secrets to essentially immortality or saving somebody from death is something that he knows he, he makes, he, he, I don't know if he ever comes out and say it, but he makes it, he makes it pretty clear to me that he knows that secret. Okay. Fast forward to the end of the film. And he basically changes his tune to the point where he says like, well, we, we can find the secret or we can learn it. And it was just, it was really interesting to me because it was, it was the worst bait and switch ever if you're Anakin, right? Because Anakin does all these terrible things in the name of presumably his wife, saving his wife. And then he gets there and he's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Like <laughs> yeah. the two of us, we can, we'll, we'll work on it. You know, I don't know. It was, it was, it was the first time I'd ever kind of picked up on that. Oh so, yeah. No, that was, that, I think that was, very intentional. He lied. Yeah. He basically, yeah. He, yeah. he pulled a sales guy on him and he basically said, yeah, sure. I can. I, he appealed to Anakin's primal urges and that's how he got him to yeah. really believe. And, and from I don't that, know, maybe, maybe every, maybe everybody picked up on that the first time they saw, I, I didn't really pick up on it until just now. It, it's not super obvious. And, and that scene is spaced apart far enough from his actual turn yeah. that it's, it's not apparent unless you see it on a subsequent watch, but yeah, I agree. I, I love that. It's almost just like a really little nuance to that. So Yoda has made his way to the Wookiee planet of Kashyyyk because I guess we needed to put a forest planet in this movie. Uh, and while it did have some cool battle scenes, it seemed mostly pointless to me. I don't know. Does it feel like the most elaborate side quest just to get a Chewbacca cameo? Yeah, I mean, you know, this trilogy, you know, it, it, it's playing on, well, in the third the third trilogy as well, they play on a lot of the same beats over and over, right? You've got a desert planet. You've got a, this, you've got a, you know, and this one, you've got a forest planet. So this is the, the stand in for Endor. I will say if I have to choose between Kashyyyk and Endor, I'll choose Kashyyyk all day long because yeah, it's, it's Wookiees versus Ewoks. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could have done without this. I mean, th this one, this one could have been, just one of the in the montage of order 66 that you got just as easily, but you know, it gave us chewy and it gave us, you know, some, some pretty cool scenes. And, and the one thing that I did like really, really like about these scenes on Kashyyyk and I'm sure they did it on purpose 
it's the fight between biology and mechanical droid versus you know organic yeah. so yeah you know, and point. again i'm sure that's i'm sure that's by design yeah and it very closely mirrors return of the jedi in that respect too as yeah. they were fighting at ats with giant trees basically right the obi-wan pleads for patience but anakin continues to talk himself closer and closer to the dark side and I know that we kind of touched on this, but this is really the point where I feel like it's fair to talk more about the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. It might be, I think it definitively is one of the things that they did best in this movie. It feels very natural. And you can tell that there are moments when they're they're really trying hard to pull it together. You know, like Anakin and him are very close at the beginning of the movie and then they start to pull apart a little bit. And then Anakin's like, hey man, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm going to try to be better. And Anakin's like, oh, man, that's cool. Don't worry about it. You're, you're a much better Jedi than I am. And you feel like they're closer than ever, even though you know how the story is going to end. And I don't know why, but this time through when I'm watching this movie, I'm way more at peace with this. And I think it's, I think, yeah, I, I think we have to give credit to the Obi-Wan series and say that that did such a good job of highlighting their relationship and, and the sadness behind what eventually happens that when you're watching this movie after having watched that series, it's like, Oh man, I know where this is going. And I thought they both played it. Well, I don't think, I don't think that Christensen deserved any disgrace from anything he did in this movie. I, I, I you can argue attack of the clones, but I think he did great with what he had here. No, I, I agree. Again, we, we could talk about the dialogue, but, but you know what? It's only the dialogue between Anakin and Padme. It is not the dialogue between Anakin and Obi-Wan. And I, I don't know if that's yes. because I don't know if that's because you and McGregor is a better actor than than Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman's a great actress. So I so I I don't know that either, but maybe it's just that George Lucas doesn't do like like uh, romantic relationships very well. well. Maybe, I don't know that he can write women. I don't think he can maybe write that, dialogue yeah. for women. I It yeah. just doesn't, because Natalie Portman is a really good actress, but she comes across as not that great in yeah, any of these movies. Right. And I um, don't think that's her fault. I think it's the dialogue that she's given. Yeah. The scene and, and it, it becomes the last scene where they are to get Obi-Wan and Anakin are together before they come back together on, on Mustafar. Yeah, you're right. When when you understand where this is going and you understand that that's the last time that they see one another as brothers, it's tough to watch. You know what I mean? Like it's it's uh it's it, it hits you right in the feels if you care about these characters the way I think, you know, us and millions of other Star Wars nerds out there do. It's yeah, it's and and it's a really well-done scene. That's the scene where and I think you just mentioned it. That's the one where he was like you're a wise Jedi, you're a great Jedi. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And, and I think the last words that they say to each other were, you know, may the force be with you. That and it, scene yeah, was, was strangely, uh, it, it, it really hit me. I don't know. There was something yeah. that was kind of powerful about that specific scene that I never picked up on before. And I felt like that was the last time, their last attempt to really try to mend those fences before things went way off the rails. And there's something so sort of sad about watching that, knowing where this is all going with them trying to pull it all back together and they just can't. Yeah. And I, and I think, I really think that this is where the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series really enhances this movie for as, and again, we're not going to go into all, all the details of that series, but for as much as I could have kind of 
take or leave some of the Leia stuff, what that series did really, really well is, is in an enhanced the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. And especially in the last episode of that series where, where Anakin and you see, spoiler alert, sorry, if you've not seen Obi-Wan, you know, tune out. So Anakin's helmet or Darth Vader's helmet is cut and you see, you see Anakin's face and they're going back and forth between the distorted voice of Vader and the voice of Anakin. And, and you really can kind of see Obi-Wan give up, right? And you, and you understand that up until that point, he still thought Anakin was in there, right? Yeah. And I think he even says a line, something like, you know, my brother is finally dead or wh- whatever he says. And, and it's, you come back to this scene in that movie and you recognize just how much of a relationship they really did have. They weren't just, Jedi buddies they were you know they, they were they brothers were, they were they really were you were my brother Anakin that's yeah absolutely yeah. so Obi-Wan then makes a trip to Utapau to seek out Grievous when we get our first hello there as he drops in on this army of so uh, good droids Grievous unleashes four lightsabers at once and backups arrive as the clone troopers provide the necessary relief Grievous then escapes on some kind of miniature Ferris wheel as Obi-Wan and this giant lizard chase after him. It it looks cooler than I'm describing it. Uh, Getting to a climax where Obi-Wan basically rips open his chest plate and shoots him mercilessly in the heart. And uh, all I can think of is, wow, technology really failed Grievous here. Not not much protection for a beating heart behind a uh, plastic chest piece. Yeah, very uncivilized. You're you're right. The, The lizard was cooler than it sounds but i will say that that one that one felt out of place for me a little bit i don't know why i don't know if it was the chirping that the lizard did or or what have you but i but i did i liked that scene i love the grievous scene in here i I actually really like general grievous as a character i you know i probably could do without some of the asthmatic stuff but i think it's cool to show that he was at least part human or part organic being at one point the one really kind of just a tiny, tiny thing that I noticed. Uh, and I actually remember I noticed it on opening night too. There's a, uh, when Obi-Wan and, and Grievous are fighting, Obi-Wan tries to kick <laughs> Grievous and like, he, he, like he hits him in the shin and he like winces because he's hitting metal, which I appreciate, <laughs> you know, yeah. that you know, he's like, Oh, you know, but no, I, I like, I like this, this entire scene. This is, this is a good scene. The one thing that, always stood out to me and i don't know if it was a flaw in obi-wan or a flaw in the jedi in general the fact that he jumped down into that what can only be described of pit of droids one guy against i don't know how many there were like the, the confidence that this dude had to to do that i don't know if that's again i don't know if that's arrogance or confidence or or, uh, i i don't know it it struck me this time it made no sense but it was a cool scene (laughs) so i guess we got to just chalk it up to that yeah meanwhile back on coruscant palpatine continues to poison anakin while revealing his true nature anakin takes this information back to mace windu who assembles a group of jedi to go arrest palpatine for being the sith lord 
Palpatine will have none of it, and a battle ensues as he skewers pretty much every Jedi but Master Windu. And I got to be honest, I having watched this again, I thought the mood going into the scene was really good because there was this really dark, ominous music. And again, props to John Williams for everything he did. But when <laughs> when when Palpatine starts fighting with his saber, like it just doesn't look right to me, and it never it's not selling me on his swordsmanship. And I don't know if that's because they tried to put too much of Ian McDermott into this role, but there was something that was just kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, elfish about it, where it was just like, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't, it it didn't come across as menacing. It came across a little bit goofy. Yeah. I I think what's going on here, because I saw it too. And I'm gonna leave us. I'm gonna leave aside for a moment. I will come back to it. The fucking worthless three Jedi that were there with Mace Window. I'll come back to that. But I. But you're right. I. I think what Attack of the Clones did so well. One scene in specific, or specifically, was when Dooku was on screen. Specifically, when he's fighting Yoda. You know, it's Christopher Lee as the character. But when he's fighting Yoda, the transition between Christopher Lee and what is clearly a stunt double is almost unrecognizable. Like you almost can't really tell when it's Lee and when it's the other guy. And you're right here. There's and it's not Ian McDermott's fault. I'm sure he's not a swordsman and he was, I don't know how old he was at this time, but you're right. There's too much where you can tell which one is which and they're trying to do too much with McDermott and you're right. It almost, it's got like kind of a, it's going to sound weird. It's kind of like a cornholio vibe where he's like, he's like kind of poking, you know, he's poking at him with the, and it's this weird, really weird lightsaber style where he's like poking rather than striking. And, And I, I, I seem to remember and, I don't know if you've ever read this novel. The novelization of Revenge of the Sith has a lot more specifically around this scene. And I seem to remember there was like a, he was recording this entire, he was recording like this entire interaction. And he was, he had a button where he was like turning on and off where he was essentially editing what everybody else could hear. Does this does this ring a bell at all, or am I just totally misremembering this? I, I didn't read that book, okay. so I can't say for sure. I'm all, I'm almost positive that I'm remembering, like you know, somebody was listening, right? And he would he would let them listen to the pieces of the dialogue that made him look good and made the Jedi look bad, and then would like mute when he would, you know, again, I I don't want to go in, I don't want to go into a false memory, but anyways. <clears throat> it's a long way of saying, yes, I agree. I, I think w- what we're seeing here is too much McDermott and not enough stunt double. I have to circle back around to the, the three Jedi that are just little bitches. They, they <laughs> die. I, they just are right. I mean, it's like, presumably I understand that there's levels of Jedi, right? Sure. You've got they're masters, trying, you've- they're trying to show Palpatine as being just, just complete badass. Right. Okay. I guess, but they like didn't the- do it. No, the first the first three are literally dead in I don't know eight or nine seconds, while while Windu just kind of stands around and watches them get filleted. 
And then, and then Windu's a badass, right? And Windu essentially beats him, which is cool. But yeah, yeah. Th- 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 you're right. That from the time he kind of grabs his saber out of his, his uh, um, coat until it's just one-on-one with him and Windu is kind of clunky. Anakin shows up as Mace Windu is about to best Palpatine and completes his heel turn when he amputates Mace Windu and it allows Palpatine to basically launch him into the Coruscant night skies. And now we are officially at the part of our podcast where we talk about where we are with the fall of Anakin Skywalker. So what I'll say is to this point, Anakin's descent has been really believable and I'm going with it like up until this very point. And I will even go as far as to say, I believe the parts where, where he attacks Windu and wants to side with Palpatine. The part where it really totally loses me is when he's like, sure, I'll go murder a bunch of Jedi. No problem. That's what I'm signing up for. So I I like the buildup. Everything worked a lot smoother for me this time through. And you know, Anakin's not wrong for challenging Mace Windu because he wanted to basically murder Palpatine at that point. But what happens here and where it goes from here is where I start to really have a problem because it basically just goes fast forward into complete evil. Here's where I start to have problems with this film. And, and you hit it on the head. And we and we I've said it a bunch of times. This this trilogy and this movie had one job, and it was to show the fall. And yes, I, I think the Dooku thing was a little bit quick, but I get it, right? And and especially everything that has happened between Dooku and now with the tragedy of Darth Plagueis and, and this day. And and even when even when Palpatine revealed himself to Anakin, Anakin was still conflicted. Right. He went to he went to window. He told him, hey, this is the Sith Lord, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. I agree with you again that it even makes sense to me that Anakin would would cut off Windu's hand. Like, like I get like that all makes sense. You're right. Where it takes the re, the, the 90 degree turn again. It, well, I can even understand him stopping Windu and then Palpatine kills Windu mm-hmm. or presumably kills him. We don't know for sure, but presumably from there to rise Darth Vader is a, is a, you're right. Fast forward is the best way to describe it. And then it's another like fast forward from I'm Darth Vader to I'm going to kill anybody that's in my ways, including younglings. Yes. It, it, it just, again, it's, it's not earned. It's, I can understand why he would kill Windu, even kill Windu. He didn't, but because he needed to save Padme and he thought that Palpatine was his way to save Padme. I have a hard time understanding how he goes from, I love my wife. I love the mother of my unborn children to I'm going to slaughter innocent children. That's, that's, I just can't get there. Even, even after all these viewings and even after Obi-Wan Kenobi series, I just, I can't get there. Yeah. I mean, 
we'll get to the children part for sure. But even just murdering all the Jedi, like that, it happened like within seconds of him being named a Sith Lord. It did. And I think, and I think that's why I read that initial passage at the very beginning of the podcast, where I think a lot of that, I think the reason he was willing to do that was left on the cutting room floor because he had this distrust of the Jedi and the fact that they wouldn't make him a master and they wouldn't do this and they wouldn't do that. But again, I don't know on screen though, it wasn't earned. Right. But that's, well, but that's why I read that. You're right. But I think they did a pretty good job up until this point playing his frustration against the Jedi. Like I, and I, and even his mistrust, but frustration and mistrust doesn't graduate to murder quite as quickly no, it as, no, as it, it did in this movie. So that's where right. I think right. I would like to believe there's a lot on the cutting room floor because I, I just, I don't, there's a transition here that's just too abrupt for me. Yep. I agree. So with that, we have Darth Vader. And the only other comment I have on this particular scene is the weird voice modulation stuff that's going on with Palpatine. Like, I don't understand that. Every time I watch that, he's like, where are you? And I don't get it. I mean, I could I could hazard a guess or I could retcon something where, I don't know, did the lightning mess up his voice, his vocal cords? I don't know. That, that That's the only... That doesn't even make any sense, though. I suppose but, yeah. that's weird. Like, I don't, I don't know why it that is. would be it's, a conscious it's, choice. It's totally weird. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I guess the only thing is, you know, the Emperor sounded a certain way in Return of the Jedi in Empire Strikes Back, and we needed to make this character that hasn't been talking like that talk like that. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. because of reasons, I, you know. What I do appreciate is the minute he put up the hood, he. He basically talked oh. like the emperor. Yeah. What What did you think about the the way he? Because he was still kind of a a squirrely dude. Even so, he was beaten. Right? Windu beat him. If Anakin doesn't show up, Windu kills him, and this is done. Right. Just talk to me for a minute about what What do you think about like? Are we Are we still loving Palpatine as a character here? Cause I, I love him even more than I used to just like the, the fact that he's a squirrely dude and he will say and do anything that he needs to do. Yeah. And, and yes, he, he becomes the emperor, but here's what I, here's what I picked up in this watching the emperor. Isn't this all powerful, badass Sith Lord that we always knew and loved. I mean, he is, but he's also the used car salesman of Sith, right? He'll, he'll say anything that he needs to say. I don't know. I, I, yeah. did you pick up on that or am I wrong? I mean, I think so. I just, I saw him as a politician, right? I, yeah. I saw him as a politician who's graduated into this really evil maniacal person who clearly had aspirations to rule the entire galaxy. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do agree with that. I do think that makes sense. So, as I mentioned, Palpatine orders Anakin to kill everyone in the Jedi Temple and then go to Mustafar and wipe out the Separatist leaders that he helped put in place to make room for what will eventually be the Empire. And, you know, we kind of we've already covered that. That's this is this is where his willingness to do that really sort of escapes me. And I don't understand that. Order 66 is then initiated, turning on and killing most of the Jedi warriors and what is truly a very powerful scene. 
including Anakin slaughtering off camera a bunch of children. And, you know, this to me to this day is still a really heavy scene. I mean, there's, there's a couple things going on here. There is the, you know, the clone troopers who are turning on all the Jedi and, and killing them. And then you've got Anakin, who's basically just Jason Voorheesing his way through the uh, Jedi temple. But then he gets to this room where there are children hiding and he, he lights a saber. And of course they don't show it on camera, but like he basically murders children. And I'm just wondering, like, is that too far? Did, did Lucas maybe go too far? Like for me personally, it's not too far, but let's not forget. We're supposed to, forgive Darth Vader for the sins of his past by the end of Return of the Jedi. And I don't know, I'm not sure murdering children is ever something I can really get over. Part of the problem that they have had was so again, before like why children? Pre- like why did they right. have to take it to that well, far? Well, I'm not I, offended I, by it. I'm just asking right. from a story perspective. Yeah, what was I, the? I can the I can yeah I can only imagine it's because because again when you when you look at pre prequel trilogy, Darth Vader was probably on the uh, every list of best villains ever. Oh, yeah. Biggest bad, the biggest bad, the biggest badass, blah, blah. Because again, all you knew about him was what you had from Star Wars Jedi or Star Wars Empire and Jedi, right? And and then what we have done with the prequel trilogy is we have human literally humanized him, right? And we needed to show how you get that little kid, how you go from that little kid to the literally the worst villain ever. And so you needed to do something, you needed to have him do something that was so heinous and so terrible. And what's worse than killing children? I, I agree that where you have a problem is you're right. You gotta, you, we're supposed to redeem him at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, and I don't know that that's redeemable, but that, that was a tough one. Like it, yeah. it still sits weird with me. Again, I don't mind the scene. I, I actually like the fact that they use that to make him more evil, but knowing what I know about where the story is eventually going to go. Now it seems like maybe they went a little too far. If you still want me to believe that Anakin Skywalker has been redeemed and is now a force ghost out in the world. Yeah. But, and here, and I guess here's the thing, right? It's like, let's just say that we're behind or we understand Anakin going from I love my wife to I'm going to kill all the Jedi. Let's just say for argument's sake, we we buy that. There's a difference in my mind between a full-fledged Jedi knight slash master and a youngling. Right? Sure. I mean, there just is, right? And so we could talk about it's a tough leap leap to make. I can't get there. So back on Kashyyyk, Yoda does what he does best and he bails. <laughs> that's, that's just what Yoda does. Uh, and he says he's going to miss Chewbacca. And I remember earlier, remember earlier when he told Anakin not to miss people? It sounds like an attachment to me, you hypocritical little Muppet. Like what? Like that's that's kind of a shitty thing to say. Well, I think one, one thing that 
that this trilogy probably certainly more than the original trilogy shows us is the Jedi are fallible. Like they're not, they're not perfect. We, the first, the original trilogy, the Jedi were kind of these monks, right? They were the, these religious monks that really could do no wrong. And they were above, they were above reproach and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I, what I take out of these movies is they're, they're not infallible. And to your point, right? Yoda's doing some stuff here and saying some things that are in direct opposition to what we know as the Jedi teachings. Yeah, and, and we're going to get there, but Yoda turns out to be one of my least favorite characters in this mm-hmm. trilogy Yeah, because of some of the decisions that he makes. And, you know, whether or not we want to blame George Lucas on that is is a topic for another conversation. But yeah, I mean, Yoda is just, he's, he's, I can't stand him in this movie and, and I'll, I'll get to some more examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why that is the case. Obi-Wan and Yoda head back to Coruscant to recalibrate a signal that was calling the Jedi back to the temple, which I actually think is kind of clever, uh, which was set by Anakin to try to get all the Jedi to come back so he could murder the rest of them. And that's where they learn that Anakin is behind this Jedi massacre. Soon after Anakin cauterizes all of the major organs of the separatist leaders, Palpatine essentially declares himself the emperor as he creates the first galactic empire. And then Padme confronts Anakin on Mustafar and learns of his deception. Obi-Wan appears from the ship as Anakin force chokes his pregnant wife, thinking she has betrayed him. After some surprisingly decent dialogue, we get what I think is going to end up being the best lightsaber fight in the entire saga. But I'm curious. I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but but what are your thoughts on on what you know how we're getting ready to wrap this whole thing up and in, in this lightsaber fight between Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor? Yes, I agree. It's the best of the saga, like bar bar none. It, it is. It's yeah. It, it has not only is it the best from a physical perspective, but it's the best from a kind of gravitas perspective in terms of like what's what's at stake. Yeah, you know, it's it's. Yeah, it's yes, for sure. I mean, um, it's it's long, but it's intense. Like it is super whole, yeah. intense. And they yeah. are hitting their marks all the way through this thing. Yeah. Like they are going fast and they're going furious. Forgive, forgive the uh, no pun intended. Right. It's it's just it's really good the way that they're playing this off. It's yeah. believable. Like you can tell that they're pissed and they're going at it. Right. You know, the, the one thing and it's and it's a theme that we've talked about a couple several times on this podcast is is this idea of fast forward right as you as you were going through the recap there i i wonder where the the other senators and the other people in the republic what what are their thoughts right are they are they on board with this empire are they on board with do they do they buy the story that the jedis are all bad or are they just like what the fuck's going on like this what wait wait this guy is the emp- i don't know i it, again because it's 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 told in fast forward. I wonder if it was too fast for them as well as it was for the viewers. That's a good question. I, I think we're led to believe that they are all on board with this because you get that scene with McDermott as Palpatine and sort of newly transformed into the emperor. And he's given this, this very grandiose speech when he declares he's creating the first galactic empire and everybody's cheering and the camera pants to Natalie Portman and she says so this is the death of liberty or something like that or this is how liberty dies with thunderous and applause with thunderous applause and yeah. 
this is, I think their way of telling us like he has got everybody. Like there are a few people out there that are not following along such as, you know, Palpatine and, uh, or sorry, such as Yoda, Jimmy Smith's and uh, yeah, whatever <laughs> Bail Organa and, and that group. But for the most part, yeah, it's uh, everybody's kind of falling in line with what's going on. And that's how yeah. I think the empire gets created. And again, fast forward is the, is the perfect, that's, that's a perfect way to describe it. Right. So you get, you get Padme walking off the ship. And again, it, to this point, we're to understand that everything that Anakin has done is for the love of his wife and the fear that she's going to die in childbirth. That's what this movie has told us, right? Yes, right. And so to to see him go from that, to see him go from, I'm going to cut off Master Windu's arm to, okay, I'll be Darth Vader, to, okay, I'll kill younglings, to, oh shit, Obi-Wan's here, fuck you, I'm going to choke you. That's, that's a, again, another fast forward that I have a really hard time. Like I get him being pissed. I get him being pissed, but, but if, but if he, if he's done all of these things in the name of love, in the name of for Padme, I I can't, I just, I I have a hard time getting behind not only like seeing Obi-Wan is going to lead me to want to kill you. Right. I I think that the story is not told very cleanly, but I think what we're supposed to believe is that he thinks that Padme has betrayed him and in doing so he's, he's descended so far into the Sith madness that he can't control himself. And if she has betrayed him, that was the one thing he was fighting for. So now he's just going to lose his mind and and take it out on her. Okay. Again, I, I don't think they do a good enough job showing us that but i think that's what we're led to believe that makes uh, that makes sense yeah th- th- this i don't know what it is 15 20 minutes this next fight scene is there's a couple hokey pieces in it but you're right it is just it's it's light your saber balls to the wall i'm going to kill you i'm going to do anything i can do to win this fight period paragraph end of story and mm-hmm. and even though they're cutting away to other order 66 stuff this that and the other thing and and what yoda's doing and it, it's it's pretty it, it's just a pretty intense fight from beginning to end and i just i love it it's awesome yeah that's a good point so they do a lot of cuts back and forth and i'm trying not to as i'm telling the story follow the cuts just because this would be a lot longer so i'm kind of separating that but it's a really good point that you make because the drama is really heightened right now by the fact that Jedis are getting murdered on one side of the galaxy. And on, on this planet, Mustafar, we've got Anakin and Obi-Wan who were formerly best friends, you know, a couple of days ago, you know, fighting for their lives and, and going at it against each other. And it's, it's a really intense, you know, last probably 20 minutes of this movie. And then Yoda limps his way into Palpatine's chambers where the two have a, Kind of fun, but unexpectedly one-sided battle before the uh, Jedi ultimately retreats. And, and I guess this is the opportunity to, to you know, go ahead and say it. You know, what the hell is Yoda in this in this series? Like, is he possibly one of the worst characters in this movie? I mean, the whole into exile, I must go 
I'm, why? Why is he going into exile? I understand continuity and we have to get him to Dagobah somehow. But what is the what is the rationale behind having him run away? I got I, I have nothing. I mean, I, I mean, try it's to not your question to answer. But, yeah. Yeah. I got nothing. But I, I just like I'm I'm sitting here trying. I mean, they have destroyed Yoda in my mind as a character in this movie because he just sucks like he's he used to be the coolest and, and the wisest and like man I would follow this guy into the fire and then I see him in this series and I'm just like no he's he's terrible he's hypocritical and he's running away from everything he's not fighting and I, I he, he hasn't won a single lightsaber fight he's been in a couple of them he doesn't win any of them and it's just like why what why why does he have to go in exile? Like it made zero sense because I guess maybe because he thought there was going to be a, a man hunt for him because he was a Jedi, but like, I don't know, like he doesn't know all of that at this point, right? Like he doesn't know the entire backstory of, of what's going on. So why does he? Well, say- no, well, no. And, and in fact, when he's, when he says that line about, I got to go into exile, he, he doesn't even know if, obi-wan or anakin won their duel he has no idea no so like all he knows is he got his ass kicked and obi-wan is out on his own against anakin that's all he knows at that point and you're right he just packs it in is like okay i'm going to the swamp i'm out yeah Uh, which is a bummer it's to me it's probably the single most disappointing thing about this entire series uh i mean I don't necessarily agree with the way they handled the Anakin thing, but I can't go as far as to say it's disappointing. I'll just say, I don't agree with it. This is disappointing. This is completely misusing a character that I thought was beloved and and should have been held in much more reverence. And he's basically a complete fucking chump in this series. You know what? It's, it's funny. And I guess I've never really thought about it, but, but it really calls into question the, the reverence that, Luke gives to Yoda right. in Empire and Jedi, right? Because if he That's would have fair. known, right? It just it just does. If if he would have known why Anakin, or I'm sorry, why Yoda is sitting on a swamp planet, he might not have given him the reverence that he did. Yeah, I, I mean, it makes us all wonder why we're giving him that reverence, and that, yeah. it just seems like such a curious choice by Lucas from a story perspective to to do this but i think i honestly think it was just an afterthought with all the politics and all the anakin stuff going on they're like shit we got to get yoda to dagobah how are we going to do that but we'll just have him run away and unfortunately they did that so many times in this series it's just like hey i i can't stand him i think he's terrible no i agree i agree after about seven or eight minutes of intense acrobatic fighting obi-wan notoriously gets the high ground and amputates most of anakin as he leaps toward him and Obi-Wan laments the decisions of his former friend and, and then leaves him for dead. Uh, that's It's a really powerful scene. I really like how this scene ends with Anakin screaming and catching fire and all that. And, you know, I'll, I'll question in the Obi-Wan series why he didn't kill Darth Vader a lot, but I don't question why he didn't do it here. And he clearly pitied him and he was he was really emotional and upset about it. But I thought this scene was really great the way that it ended. I agree. I think that he thought Anakin was dead. I don't I don't think sure. he thought there was any way that Anakin would survive not only his 
wounds from getting what at this point three limbs cut off but yeah can we talk about that real quick i i get the legs how did he get the other arm cut off like did he like slash a couple times? Like I'm, I'm not. It, it, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was. I don't know how you get two legs in one arm with one slash like that. That I mean, I, mean, I, I suppose maybe that. Yeah, I suppose maybe there's some like because Anakin was flipping, so maybe one saber cut got. I don't know. I, I'm sure. Sure. Okay, I'll go yeah. with that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, between that and then catching on fire and then being, I don't know inches away from the molten lava anyways i i just i i can only assume that the reason obi-wan walked away was a he already thought he was dead or dying and b he couldn't bring himself to do anything else because at this point obi-wan still looks at anakin as a brother and he's just so heartbroken and disappointed and he's doing what he has done for the last several minutes out of necessity, not out of hate. It's not Mm -hmm. that he hates Anakin. He actually loves Anakin, but he's doing it because he has to do it. I definitely think it's option B. I, that's where I like to land on this particular scene. And that's, and this is where we need to continue to give you and McGregor props for all the acting that he's doing in this movie, because he's selling this in -hmm. ways that I don't necessarily think that it's being written. And that's why I think this scene is so powerful. Even when Obi-Wan gets back on the ship and he's sitting, and I'm trying to remember the scene, but he's sitting up front. I think it's with C-3PO and he just kind of puts his head in his hand. Right. And he's just like, Oh my God, I just, I can't believe I had to do that. I can't believe that just happened. You can, you can, you can feel the angst that you McGregor is, is, is portraying and again that dude is just such an amazing actor it's crazy he really is he's fantastic i do hope we get to see him suit up as obi-wan at least one more time that would be great i don't know how we see that but hope we do so obi-wan gets padme to some sort of space hospital where she is uh, able to introduce us both to luke and leia for the first time before dying of sadness uh i'm just gonna go ahead and say it this is galactically stupid pun intended i mean we knew that she had to die and she had to have the babies before she died but couldn't we have done better than this i mean what the fuck was this dying of a broken heart is as bad as i have to go into exile right i mean it just i think it's worse i can understand somebody being shamed and and wanting to run away i can't understand somebody dying because they're sad i mean it is the dumbest thing in yeah. the entire prequel trilogy it is it is worse than anything i think that happened well, and, and you know what and and here's here's the thing that's really a bummer they didn't need to do it because the only reason that we know she died of a broken heart or whatever the fuck it was was because that droid had that one line yes that's like, true if they would have left that one line out then we could have said, oh, you know what? Hey, like Anakin force choked her and eventually she died, whatever. But yeah. like, I think but, they, but they, I think Lucas felt like he had to give a reason for her death. And I think that he was also trying to draw some kind of parallel between her dying and Anakin becoming Darth Vader. I don't really know what that that parallel is, but they they were bouncing between those two scenes. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they were intercutting they, there. And, and I can I can understand that. 
but I don't know why. Like, I don't know why one leads to the other. Like they're saying that once he becomes Darth Vader, she's so sad that she dies. Like I, I what? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know if they're doing that or if they're doing if they're, if they're making it so that like her death is, is his final turn towards Vader. I, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's thin at, at, at best. Yeah. I think to your point, a little bit better dialogue could have saved that scene. And somehow yeah. like, like saying that there's no medical reason. She's just dying. She has a, she's really sad. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> it was just the dumbest fucking thing I've ever. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, it was so bad. They could have killed her so many different ways. So Palpatine rescues what's left of his apprentice and takes him back for an upgrade. And with that, we get our first look of the iconic glossy black outfit of Darth Vader. Sadly, the cool factor is erased in less than a parsec when he screams, no! after learning Padme has died. I mean, this scene was legitimately really cool. And it was the first time we got to see, or I should say the first time we got to hear James Earl Jones voicing Darth Vader again, but wow did that end i mean look let's just let's just call it what it is like any scene in any movie where someone shouts to the heavens like that is fucking cheese dick as it could possibly be but when darth vader does it it's just like ah that was cringeworthy i remember being in the theater and going oh no please stop make it stop i mean my the inner inner me was going no as he was going no and it was just it was Oh, it was it was terrible. It was really yeah, hurtful. Yeah, the, the 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 no is is you can't you can't defend it. You can't. I mean, th- I mean that that scene would have been great up until that, right? I mean, it was a yes. it was a good it scene. Was perfect. It, 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 it was, was really good. Yeah, I don't know how you could have ended that scene and and made it because again, it was awesome up until that scene right he he stands up he's uh, he's upset he destroys everything on the set he destroys everything on the the medical frigate and whatever and that all made perfect sense he's 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 furious that he yeah. again it was a lie but he killed his wife you can't, you can't defend it. it was terrible I, I think if you take some of the aggression that he showed in the obi-wan series and and sort of mimic that it could have been great like all you got to do is cut that 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 no dialogue and just right. have him so pissed off that he's taking droids and he's forced shoving them all yeah. over the room yeah. and just like waving his arms and destroying everything. And Palpatine sits there and he gets that little smile on his face and all that. Like if he just fucks everything up in that room, it still works. He doesn't yeah. have to, he doesn't have to do this trope where he screams up to the heavens and it's just, yeah. ugh. It was so, I'm yeah. like, Lucas, come on, man. You're so close to being done with this movie. And right. that's what you do. Like, that's, uh, I, I don't I know where what, that comes from. Yeah. And I, and I guess what, what boggles my mind is like, that made it past multiple producers and like, mm. mu- like multiple people looked at that and were like, yeah, okay. Okay. I guess it's just like Lucas has final say, right? It has to be because not a lot of people say no to Lucas is my guess. Right. Right. But, but again, no, no, I can't, I can't fathom that there weren't a dozen people that were like, Hey George, this is not great. Right. Including James Earl Jones who had to deliver that fucking awful line. And again, I, I guess ultimately like if it was, 
the fact that it's in the film tells me that Lucas was like, nope, got to have it. We, we need to know. Okay. Like, right. I, yeah, I guess. So Yoda, Obi-Wan and Bail Organa agree to split up the children. And Yoda tells young Ben, he will get a chance to talk to Qui-Gon, which will pay off in about 17 years. Uh, they wipe the droids minds because Hey, continuity. Uh, and then move to a somber funeral of our fallen Senator. We then see the Organas beaming over their new bundle of joy as Ben drops Luke off in Tatooine to hide in plain sight, I guess. And the movie ends with the familiar swell of the maestro's amazing force theme as we fade to the stars. And so ends the prequel trilogy. So, so there we are. I love the scene at the end where you have Palpatine and Tarkin and Vader looking out over the, the, the Death Star. I yes. love that. Yeah, that was super uh, cool. It was, it was really cool, especially once, you know, when you, when you kind of start to layer in that, the timeline with Rogue One and all these other things. But we didn't have that at this point. Again, once you got past the no, the, the rest of the, the, re- the way they kind of ended it, I sure. love the fact that they give us a teaser about Qui-Gon I love the fact that we're in the Tantive Four, which is a you know the the, the same set from uh, New Hope. I, I like all that. I'm yeah, I'm I'm fine with the way this movie ended. I, I do too. I like the twin sons at the end. Mm-hmm. I think that's a nice touch. That's how they ended the uh, sequel trilogy as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I think any time that you could do that, it's good. Um, it's interesting to me though, like the the twin son scene became obviously iconic from the original trilogy, but that's not how the original trilogy ended, but that is how the other two trilogies ended, which is really interesting. Yeah. All right. So, so we, we didn't touch on at the beginning, but I'm going to go back. So do do you remember how you were feeling after attack of the clones heading into this movie? Do you remember how you felt? I think I was looking forward to, this based off of a couple things. First of all, the trailers. I remember the trailers being interesting and, you know, teasing just enough of what I wanted to see. But obviously, regardless of how bad that second movie was and, and how maybe the first movie didn't age as well as I had hoped, I knew the third movie was the one that was the one where good or bad, right or wrong. This is where we were going to get what we came for. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, regardless of the first two movies, I, I was excited. I was, I was definitely looking forward to it. Okay. What what about you? Same. Uh, Yeah. 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 Very similar because, because again, going into this movie or going into this trilogy, I was of the opinion that this trilogy has one, one job. It was to show the fall of Anakin to Darth Vader. In my opinion, after two movies, we hadn't got there at all. And yeah. so I was like, okay, well, if, if my premise is right, that it has one job, then that one job is happening 100% in this third movie. And I was excited to see where we went. Yeah. And, okay. and from that perspective, Interestingly enough, and I'm not sure if this was going to be one of your questions, but this is one of the most rewatchable. This maintains its status as being one of the most rewatchable movies of this prequel trilogy. I I cannot revisit Clones. I very rarely revisit Phantom Menace. This movie, I can watch it. It's 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 I don't agree with all of it, but it's not a bad movie. 
It, it, no, it's not. And, and it's funny. So my wife had never seen a single Star Wars movie ever prior to being married to me, which is crazy. The first time she watched any of these movies was in the lead up to the release of The Force Awakens. She had never seen any of them. So we sat down. So that's the last time before this rewatch. That's the last time I watched Revenge of the Sith. So when was that? That was 2000 and 17. Yeah. Okay. When Force Awakens came out. Right. And so I had coming out of that rewatching in 2017, I actually had a really bad taste in my mouth for this movie. But in retrospect, you're right. This is the one that you can rewatch. You can come back to multiple times and you can rewatch. Attack of the Clones is almost unwatchable. The Phantom Menace, there's a couple good scenes in there. But again, in the, in the, in the kind of pantheon of Star Wars films, it's kind of worthless and it's kind of irrelevant. This one, though, there's still a lot going on. And again, after, after watching Kenobi... Coming back to this, this this one is better after watching Kenobi. I'm I'm glad I waited until I watched that to come back to this because it because that one really does add a lot more to this to this film. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think that makes a lot of sense, and I I find myself if I'm watching one of these prequel movies, revisiting this one more so than any of the yeah. other ones. So again, come 2005. At the time, we thought this was the last Star Wars movie that we would ever get. There was no Ray and you know Finn. That 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 wasn't for several years. Do you remember kind of how you felt coming out of this? Were you satisfied? Well, I guess the the ultimate question is: Was the prequel trilogy a success? Were, were we were we better? Was the Star Wars franchise better off? for having the prequel trilogy or should we, should we have left it with the OG? Man, that is a, that's a really tough question. I am going to answer that by saying, I don't think the prequel trilogy made star Wars better. I don't necessarily think it made it worse, but the prequel trilogy didn't specifically for me personally, enhance my love for star wars because the original trilogy was all i ever needed i mean Mm -hmm. i'm i'm glad that we got more content but ultimately if we just if we would have stopped after the prequel trilogy came out i would have been fine with that I, i i mean i'd always in my heart wanted i get let me take a step back i guess if you'd have asked me after the original trilogy what I really wanted, I would not have said I want three movies that took place before the original right. trilogy. No, I no, wanted three nobody sequels. Would. Yeah, nobody would. Yeah. So in a sense, I guess at the time, I probably would have said, yeah, this was great. This was amazing. But that's just because it was new Star Wars content. But what I ultimately really wanted was a sequel. I wanted to see what was happening with Han Solo, with Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and all of the ancillary characters. So I don't know if that answers the question at all, but I will say that this prequel trilogy didn't. If I honestly think that if we hadn't had this, I wouldn't feel any less about star Wars. Okay. No, that's fair. I I would tend to agree with that to me, this movie or this trilogy is kind of like solo. 
the movie Solo in that it gave us answers to questions that we weren't really asking. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Like, so did Obi-Wan, if you really want to get technical. It, it, it did. Hey. It did. But the, but the difference is, Obi, Obi, in my opinion, Obi-Wan, the last two episodes of Obi-Wan I thought were amazing because they showed a lot of the Vader, Vader, Obi-Wan interaction. Again, the Obi-Wan series, I think, actually created more questions than it solved. But again, like I, I guess my point in, in the Solo comparison is like, I didn't need to know why Solo's last name was Solo. Like, I didn't need to know that. I didn't need to know why he had dice. I didn't need to know why he had the gun that he, you know. Yeah, yeah. It didn't enhance the character. In fact, it might have detracted from the character of Han Solo to learn some of that stuff, right? It made it worse because it felt like they were going overboard with the fan service. To me, that right. was my impression right. of it is that it was like, and, and we don't need that shit. Like, that's just right. That's goofy. And so, again, again, I guess to your point, I, I guess it's kind of interesting to understand why I should care about Anakin Skywalker and his redemption. But I don't know that I care any more about his redemption after watching this trilogy than I did in 1983 when Return of the Jedi ended. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't, I don't, I don't, in fact, to your point and to our discussion earlier, like this motherfucker killed a bunch of kids. I might, I might not get behind it as much as I did (laughs) in 83, right? You know, because I didn't know that in 83. Well, what I, what I will say is that I'm interested in the story. I would have been more interested in better stories because I think they could have told these stories better. I think if you had, I don't know. I'll just use an example. The Russo brothers, because they did such a fucking incredible job with the Marvel movies towards the end of phase three or whatever. You know, if you would have had somebody as smart as that sit down and write three movies and see them all through, I think you could have made a story about Anakin Skywalker that would have been amazing and compelling and, and could have even potentially rivaled you know, the, the magic of the original trilogy. I don't think that's what we got here. So I think that maybe part of my reasoning for saying that I'm sort of ambivalent to this is just because the, the product wasn't really what I thought it right. could have been. So I got a couple more, couple more questions as a standalone is revenge of the Sith, a recommendable film. Hard to say because I don't feel like it's a standalone movie, but I will say that it is. I definitely came away from this viewing appreciating it more than I have in the past, or maybe forgiving it a little bit more. And I would say that it's the best movie of the original, or excuse me, the best movie of the prequel trilogy. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say. I would have to I would have to explain to somebody why. Sure. Right. I would have to give a lot of context to that. But yeah, I do think it's a recommendable movie. Okay. Okay. So and, and so you 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 just hit my next question. I was gonna say rank the prequel trilogy. So it's gotta be this, the Phantom Menace, and oh, Attack of the For Queen, sure. Right? It's gotta be. Okay. It's oh yeah, hundred okay. percent. Yeah, that's okay. that's no doubt. And I don't even know. You know, I'm not a movie critic enough to know whether this was the best of the of the movies in terms of, you know, coherent storytelling and all that. I just know this is the only one I can 
tolerate revisiting, to right. be honest. Right. So, yeah. So, so one of the other questions that I put on here, and I don't know that we've ever done this, but it's not in, in retrospect, and I'm looking at it now, it's not a question that we can just kind of do right now. I, I think it's probably another podcast, but I think we should rank <laughs> all of the Star Wars movies from big from top to bottom again we're not going to do it now i just because it like we talked for another half an hour about it i mean i think it's pretty clear we probably know what's number one and we probably yeah. know what's at the bottom yeah but the but the in between the mid, would be interesting yeah the in between would be interesting so i'm 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 kind of to the end of my notes here do you have any other kind of last thoughts around not only the revenge of the sith but this kind of marks the end of our retrospective of the entire prequel saga get any other final thoughts i mean i definitely enjoyed this a lot it was a bit of a labor of love just kind of getting through well certainly the first two movies this one you know the revenge of the sith went a lot better and i think maybe my big takeaway from this is that i've learned to respect the revenge of the sith a little bit more than what i had up until this point and maybe it's because i've just been too hard on it maybe it's because obi-wan kind of opened my eyes to the things that maybe really mattered about this movie but i'm coming away from this last movie with a much better impression than i thought that i had previously and i think that was worth the journey of doing all these movies again uh is is to get a chance to really give this one some more thought and it was if i'm being honest kind of fun to shit on attack of the clones Yeah, it, it was, it was, yeah, that, that is a, I, I, I don't know that I'll ever go back and watch that movie again. I, I don't, like, I have no reason to. I mean, I, I certainly hope not. I, I remember yeah. when we started or when we, when we first discussed the idea of doing a deep dive on this prequel trilogy, I'm like, oh, fuck, one third of this is going to be really painful. Be terrible. Yeah. But well, yeah, well, yeah th- th- this was fun. I, I, I enjoyed this. I'm glad we did it. Uh, you know, we did the we did the sequel trilogy, we did the prequel trilogy. I I don't know that we necessarily need to do the original trilogy because we we talk about that move those movies kind of so much. H- have you given any thought? I think it's time podcast wise. I think it's time to go away from Star Wars for a while. Yes. Have you given Have you given any thought to what we're going to talk about next? Which I can guarantee you will not be two months from now. No, it definitely will not be two months from now. And and no, to be honest with you, I don't know where we're going to go next. I think we should go away from Star Wars, maybe even away from movies. But here's what I will say is that is slightly off topic. I think I know the next deep dive we're probably going to take on. And that will most likely be uh, in October when Halloween ends. And I'm looking forward to that because we talked about Halloween kills. We didn't really do a deep dive on the first Halloween reboot, the, uh, the, the 2018, 2018. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but we did Halloween kills and I know that we both came away with that very favorably and it'll be interesting. I'm sure we'll both rewatch that before Halloween ends comes out. I'm looking forward to doing a deep dive on that. I'm all on board. Yeah. So, so if, for those of you have that, that have not listened to it, go back in the archives. That's episode 58 of the podcast. We did a deep dive into Halloween kills. I'm assuming that you saw the new trailer for Halloween ends that dropped the other day. I did. In fact, I was the one that posted it on that awesome site, scaretissue.com <laughs> on our, uh, on our social media feeds. And you know, it's funny. I, 
I watched it and I was maybe a tad bit underwhelmed, but it was because it was a true teaser. Like there was nothing right. to it. There's nothing there. Yeah. And I have actually, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to muster the willpower to actually follow through on this, but I don't want to watch any more trailers for it. But like whatever comes out, I don't want to oh, see wow. Because okay. I already know I'm going to go see this movie. I already know for a fact I will see it on opening weekend. So I almost want to go into it with as much uh, surprise, with as much unknown to it as possible. So I'm going to try to do that. I've always wanted to do that, and I've never been successful. So I will probably fail. But I, I want to try to go in as spoil not spoiler free because they won't spoil it in the trailers. But I just don't want to know anything about that movie going yeah. into it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pumped for that. You know, again, as as we've talked about on several podcasts, I I think Michael Myers has has kind of inched up my my list of of favorite bad guys. You know, it, it's really interesting. Like that that Halloween Kills flick was really polarizing, and I didn't think it would be. I I, I just assumed that most people would would have loved it kind of the way we did, and and it really was polarizing. So. So I'm really interested to see kind of how not only the 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 Uber fans of the franchise, but also the casual slasher fans take that that film in. I mean, really intrigued to see how that well, obviously how the film is, but how it's received on top of that. Yeah, I agree. And I sincerely hope that I love it. I don't know if I will or not. I think that uh, I do think that they will go more towards fan service in this last movie. If I had to, they take have a guess. to, right? They almost have to. Yeah, which yeah. which is exactly what Halloween Kills didn't do, and one of the reasons that I really liked it and respected it because they took a very different approach to that movie. Yeah. And I don't know if I'll like it as much if we go back to sort of the Laurie versus Michael angle, you know, as we kind of thought that it was. So I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But this Halloween, I think, is going to be really exciting to to be able to sit through what will most certainly be the last time we ever see Jamie Lee Curtis go up against the shape. Yeah. All right. So with that, we're done with our prequel deep dive review. It was awesome. Thank you for leading us through this. I appreciate it very much. It was amazing. It was, it was amazing. And I'm really looking forward to, I'll be honest with you. I'm looking forward to getting back to some sort of a schedule on our podcast where we can just yes. talk about just whatever, whether it's movies or, or, or music or pop culture or wrestling or whatever the fuck we want to talk about. But I can promise you, I don't want it to be two months from now. <laughs> and I can promise you that it won't be two months from now. We'll yeah. certainly find the time and we'll do this. And I will, uh, I will be happy to do that research for sure. All right. With that being said, I was joined once again by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. My name is Chewy, and this has been the 411 from 406. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Adios.
You're gonna do some vocal warm ups. You can't. Right. <laughs> 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 uh, too far. Right. 